Hello, I'm attorney Barry Boykin. I'm attorney Kevin Johnson. And welcome to episode 30 of Dynamite Divorce and Other Matters. Episode 30? Wow. I guess we've been doing this a while. We um, have. Yes. Well, I'm, I'm happy to say we have a celebrity guest with us today, a doctor of psychology, Dr. Pascal Pierron from Chicago, who's found time. I don't know in her busy schedule how she did it, but welcome, Dr. Pierron. Thank you. Thank you, Kevin and Barry. I'm really delighted to be here on my very first podcast, so I'm very excited. Well, we have brought Dr. Pierron here to talk about why a doctor of psychology, a psychologist, counselors, or any mental health professionals has any place in the family law world. I mean, let's face it, family law, it's law. The word law is there. And who better to handle law than lawyers, right? Why do we need psychology professionals? Why do we need mental health experts? Well, Dr. Perone is here to tell the other side of the story. To start with, I have to confess that I've known Dr. Perone before she was a doctor. Uh, I've known her as Pascal. I've known her for what? We figured out before the pod here about 16 years. Mm-hmm. That's right. Yes. And uh, it's been uh, interesting to see her uh, go through her education I think I met you when you were elementary school, and now you're you got your <laughs> master's degree. No, no, not that early. As a hard hardworking parent, you got a master's degree, then you got your PhD or PsyD. PsyD, yeah. Now, what's the difference between a PsyD and a PhD for our listeners? What's the difference? Well, PsyD is a uh, doctorate in psychology, whereas a PhD is a doctorate in philosophy. It all leads to the same, but they're different in the, in the journey of the education where PhDs traditionally were centered and focused more on research, and PsyDs were focused more on the practical application in the field, but that has quite become interchanged. So, are you better than a PhD? No. No. I want the truth. Really? No. no. I'm no. not the same. <laughs> so, so no, no, I'm not better. I, so, we're all the same, right? I can say I've experienced a brush with fame because I was at your graduation from Adler University with your society. Yes. It was at the Chicago Theater. It was mm-hmm. a beautiful ceremony pre-pandemic. And uh, I just felt honored to be there. And, and uh, I didn't do any work to get there. You had to do all the work. What in God's name ever made you interested in psychology and want to write all those papers and become <laughs> a doctor of psychology? It's uh, an interesting question. So, well, I was born and raised in Belgium and came to the United States when I was nearly 30 years old. And I realized that I was a bit of a late bloomer, so not sure what I wanted to do growing up. And um, when I arrived in Chicago, I decided to earn my bachelor's degree, and I went to Northwestern University for that. It was the evening school, the School of Continuing Studies. Um, And, you know, I did what a normal freshman would do, and maybe that doesn't know their path, and just take a lot of classes and a lot of different topics, uh, change my major every quarter. Um, (laughs) they saw me, they saw me coming. They had the form ready. They're like, okay, what is it this term? Right. Um, I'm like, oh, communications, uh, computer science. Um, and toward the end of my, what is considered the second year, traditionally, uh, it took me a lot longer than that to earn all the credits, but I had a class with Dr. Wendy Charnas, and she was and is a psychologist, and 
I looked at her and I said, that's it. That's what I want to do. So I think I would say it's, it's sort of a calling. She was explaining some family theory and models of family dynamics. And it made a lot of sense when I looked back at my own upbringing to kind of help me understand what it was like for me to grow up in my environment and how our family was structured and how we interacted. And I just said, you know, this is it. This is what I want to do. I want to be her when I grow up, even though I was already a lot older than her. But, <laughs> but she was so... Uh, I, I mean, I'm still in touch with her. I just found her so, she was so knowledgeable and personable, uh, you know, just really through and through a fantastic human being, you know, that I know a little bit personally. And to me, there was no other option. I, I do have to say, it's almost like I was called to the field. So, of course, I went back, changed my major once again to psychology <laughs> uh, with a minor in radio, TV, and film because I had taken a lot of classes in that area. And then after graduating with my bachelor's, I was pregnant at the time so I took a little a few years off to experience motherhood and make sure my son was launched into pre-k and then decided I was going to take the next step which for me working as a as a full-time employee for a company and I was in IT back then you know, the master's program at Adler University is what fit best with my schedule. It was uh, delivered on a hybrid model back then, which seems so innovative at the time. But since, you know, the pandemic, so many people, like people are studying from home now, right? And then back then it was like, whoa, so special. But it fit for a working professional. So that took me about three years. And then after that, I decided to carry on the journey to, you know, get a doctorate because I was interested in... You know, even though it sparked my interest, because I gained a better understanding of my own family, I became just interested in how human beings function, you know, what goes through their mind, how does the, you know, how is everything connected, mind, body, experiences, um, and, you know, I wanted to learn how to perform psychodiagnostic testing. For that, the doctorate was the only road. So that's how wow. I got to the field, Yeah. Well, you've used up most of the podcast now with your introduction. No, just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. No, but hey, there's one you thing. Said five minutes. No, no, it's okay. No, no I'm just kidding. I'm just I kidding. I was timing so, myself. <laughs> the, Before we go further, this podcast is no substitute for the specific legal advice you will get by consulting one on one with a licensed attorney in your state or country. We hope that before taking any action that might change your life or your financial situation, and before making decisions that might significantly affect your children and the people around you, you do find and meet with a licensed attorney. Now, now on, with, on the with the show. I understand, Dr. Piron, that you now are in private practice. You uh, have your own mm -hmm agency is that right mm -hmm. yes yes so uh during my long training career i did work at some private practices that do parenting evaluations for court and then i ended up at uh, doing my uh, postdoc at the law school the uic law school and then after that i worked in a private practice who unfortunately decided to close their doors and it pushed me to say, okay, what are my next steps? So I created a company, Emerge Psychology Group. Um, we're just starting and we're a group of two, <laughs> but hopefully, <laughs> hopefully that group will grow. 
so we'll see how it goes. You know, I'm very excited to be launching and we'll, you know, hopefully we'll grow our client base and, and do good work with people. Um, so I'm very excited. Well, we're very happy to have you. And uh, even though family law does have, you know, the word law in it, and of mm-hmm. course that means it's mostly the province of lawyers because, you know, we are, what are we, the most important people, right? No, just kidding. But the door is open for professionals of other stripes to help. And a very important part of family law seems to be psychology and the way people get along and their emotions and everything like that. And you've touched on that. You mentioned that you, in your uh, postdoc work, you worked and you did some custody evaluations. I mm-hmm. think you've, you've done supervision of parenting time, right? Mm-hmm. Correct. Yes. Uh, yeah. Both both in person and on the phone and on Zoom, right? Well, reunification therapy was on Zoom during the pandemic. Uh, partly, you know, we started before the pandemic and then we had to f- uh, finish doing Zoom for the last couple of sessions. And I did do a lot of years of uh, in the field, supervised visitation, and then mm-hmm. the custody evals were during my training years. Yeah. Well, we'll have a link in our notes page to your website so people can find. Oh, nice. nice. So, uh, yeah. And uh, for our listeners then, who are not lawyers all over the world, all over the country, who are wondering, yeah, yeah, that's fine. Psychologists, that's all right. But I want to get my child back or I want my parenting time to work better. I want my ex to stop interfering with my summer vacation. Is there a place for a psychologist or a doctor of psychology in uh, family law cases? Well, I think so, Kevin. You know, um, and it's not just psychologists. It's, it's just all mental health professionals. There's plenty of social workers, uh, clinical counselors, psychologists that play a part in getting the families back together or in some cases, protecting the child. So it depends the angle, right? It depends what, what really what the family dynamic is. So, you know, in certain cases where there has to be an evaluation of parenting personality, so to speak. So are these parents capable? Are they good parents? Are they fit to be a parent? Well, so, wait a minute. Wait, wait. Are you saying that I, as a parent, who I'm uh-huh. involved in a custody case, mm-hmm. I might have someone like you think they know better than me how to parent my children? Is that, you know, you're going to come in, yes, you have a degree and you're very smart and you have experience, but who are you to tell me about my parenting? I mean, I'm a parent. How can you tell me I'm going to take umbrage at that? How do you get over that barrier when people, they certainly don't want to be told that they have problems as parents? Yeah, I, I totally understand. I totally understand that. I'm a parent too, but even though I'm, you know, in this field, it doesn't mean that I'm a, you know, never make mistakes and I can always learn. I think that we have to make a distinction how psychology comes into family law, how psychology comes into parenting time evaluations, right? Or or parent evaluations. Generally it's the court that dictates that. So I'm throwing this back over to your fence, right? Well, uh, <laughs> well, well how about let, let me jump in at this point and, and say that, in fact, I have a very fresh experience. And so I, a, a case where two parents, uh, they were never married. They have a child in common who's about 11. And uh, so they, they live in separate households. Both of them have married other people. Now, contrary to what Kevin said, then mom really wants a psychologist involved because she's certain that it will show 
that dad has problems from his childhood. And that that was he was home. Dad was homeless for a while as a child. And so Mama is certain that his deficits will emerge from the the evaluation that's done. We call it a forensic clinical evaluation. And so uh, it, it let me I was interested in having your your take on that that comment on that, but it's a very fresh request that I, I recently made to the court about that. Yeah, so uh, this is not uncommon that one parent, so I've seen different models. So sometimes mm -hmm. I see it being dictated by the court that a parenting evaluation or a forensic clinical evaluation has to take place for the entire family, mom, dad, the girlfriend, the boyfriend the child, right? And then mm -hmm. from there, they, you know, we, we draw some conclusions based on the diagnostic tests that were taken the, or the observations in the office between the parents and the, and the child. And then we write some recommendations, right? And then we, that goes in turn to you, the attorney, and then the attorneys decide with the judges what's going to happen with regards to parenting, parenting time allocation and parenting uh, responsibilities. In this case, though, what you explain is also not uh, uncommon where there's a it is initiated by a parent because the parent is trying to undermine the other parent right so i don't know anyone that you know most of us have problems from our childhood right i mean when we look we you know it, it's it's uh, maybe not to that extent you know surely you know there may be some trauma that's still present in the dad but uh he may have worked through that already he may have worked with uh, other you know psych psychologists or mental health professionals to process that trauma, which then in turn doesn't make him a bad parent. But, you know, when you see that one parent is trying to devalue the other parent for gain, it is definitely not uncommon to see that play out and to try to utilize a, a report to discredit the other parent and then to take away parenting time, which in that case, I mean, it's not always, it's not foolproof The you know, we are supposed to be objective, right? So I have... One thing that my theory, and, and I'm coming at this with no psychology training, except I've been doing this for over 20, you know, over 20 years, but my street knowledge of, of psychology <laughs> is that parents think they're winning when their child says things like, mommy, do I have to see daddy this weekend? I want to stay with you. And it's my theory then that they'll say the same thing to dad when they're with dad. They'll say, gosh, the weekend's already over. Do I have to go back? I really like it here. I don't like living with mommy. So I've always had this idea, and now I can test it on a real professional. Mm. Don't you think kids will tell each parent what they want to hear? Yes. So what you're implying a child is manipulative, right? No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> well, um, yes, in a way, I, I always no, say that no. children are, are, are the best actors, you know, mm. because they want the peace in their household. They want a quiet, peaceful household. And they don't want someone saying, what's wrong, honey? What's wrong, honey? What's wrong, honey? So they're going to make their face to be the happy child. They're going to say things that, that make peace in the household they're in. While meanwhile, the other household, they say things that make that household go peacefully. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There's some of that, right? Yeah, sure. And then you have to think about how that, uh, that's an adaptation, right? It's, it's trying to adapt to the situations that they have, which puts a child in a very unfair situation. So in, in dynamic, family dynamics where the parents get along, you will see the child will be authentic. They can say what they want to say. They can be however they want to be, and there are no issues. But when there's contention and they fee on children, that's all they have to do, right? They just observe, 
they observe, they have time to look, they, they look at how the parents interact, they feel the dynamic. And in those cases, they will try to align with the parents. It's sort of like the Stockholm syndrome, right? So you're the, ca- the captive, right? Because children, sometimes I re- I'm like, oh, children are like, you know, they're like captives, right? There's no way to go. They have no money. They just have to put up with these parents that they've been given. And, <laughs> um, you know, and, and in certain cases, it's also the parent that kind of feeds into that because, you know, they want to know that they're the ones that are being chosen. They're the ones that are being loved the most. There's this underlying competition against the other parent. And none of that, it's in the best interest of the child. So if parents come to the table and think about their kids, if, if we come to, the, you know, this is our job too, as, as attorneys, as uh, people in the mental health field, is to really look, and the courts do this too, what is in the best interest of the child? It's definitely not creating a, a situation where children have to just say yes to be able to live and survive in their environments, uh, even if it's detrimental to them. So, well... There are some things that I'd like to test on you, too, that one of my long-running theories and uh, methods that Barry has heard me say endlessly, and I, no one agrees with me, and you'd probably be the, another person not agreeing with me, is <laughs> advice to parents, my clients, who will sometimes come and say, you know what, she's saying bad things about me to the kids, or you know what she's saying over there, or you know, her boyfriend Bruce was over there yesterday, and the news from the other side comes through the child. The child, you know, brings things over, quite upsetting things, or asks, you know, brings over questions. Or, you know, we talked about in a previous episode, Daddy, were you in prison? It wasn't prison. It was jail. You know, because mom prompts the child to ask about prison, and it's just enough to set the dad off. Those things coming through the child can all be eliminated. And here's where my theory. If you say, when you're with your child, act as though the other parent doesn't exist. That is, don't allow any discussion. Yeah, maybe get a counselor to hear it all. But when you're with your child, don't let the discussion flow into what happened on the weekend with dad or anything about the other side of the fence. You know what? I can't get anyone to agree with me. But actually, in practical sense, it seems to work. It quiets down the household. The other side gets out of your household. And they don't come in as a topic of discussion. Does that even make sense to a doctor of psychology? Well, I, <laughs> we've talked about this before, Kevin, and, I don't, and I've said, and I will repeat, that it's the idea, <laughs> the idea is not, you know, a, a bad one, but it's not realistic in, in certain cases. Uh, so what, what do you do? You, your child comes home and wants to say what they did on their weekend, and you go like, well, we don't talk about that, right? So basically, you're shutting down your child from sharing any experiences, and I'm not quite sure how good that is for the relationship that you have with your child, right? They should be able to talk and be authentic and just share. It becomes an issue when it's about bad-mouthing or bringing information that then becomes a topic of conversation between, you know, the parent and the child to fuel negativity or bad-mouthing of the other parent. I think that is different. In those cases, you know, of course, it's better to, if a parent can't control themselves and say, okay, I don't want to talk about, you know, uh, you know, my ex who's married to someone new, and I can't stay positive about that, then maybe I shouldn't talk about it at all and not, you know, not hear about that when my child comes home. But if, if everyone's getting along and the child's just sharing, oh, you know what, we went to, I don't know, six walking and it was so great and we saw you know deer in the in the in the woods i don't really see 
what's negative about that or how that could be detrimental to the child. And I think the key so there here's is... A, said, here's a struggle. Yeah. I, th I think mm -hmm. here's the struggle we have. That uh, I think I also share the experience that Kevin has, although I don't have the ex the uh, success that he has in convincing <laughs> convincing my clients to 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 uh, explain to the child we don't talk about that. So a typical example example, and I, I've shared this before actually, where um, you know dad hears something that mom said, and he's engaged in an activity. It's dad's time with his kids. And his his son has told him something that mom said about him. They're driving. He stops the car in the middle of the road, pulls over to the side, and, <laughs> and he gets yes. he, he gets his his uh, he records on his phone what his child's uh, speech. He says, "What did mom say about me? What did mom say about me?" You know, so so that's that that's an extreme example. Mm -hmm. But but I, I do experience that in my cases where there's this back and forth, the bickering between the parents, and it, it's kind of filtered through the, their children, mm -hmm. where the child then has to be the bearer of, you know, you know what mom said about you? <laughs> <laughs> or, or yeah, the, and, and people always say, they always say, you know what, I don't ask. Sally just tells me. I don't ask. Timmy just tells me. And I, I always say to my clients, uh, well, do you want to have a peaceful household? Do you want to disconnect your child from from that push and pull? And I tell them also, do you want, instead of having a plastic-faced, happy child, do you want your real child to emerge? Because they'll put on the act, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And filter, 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 every, because the information passes back and forth through a filter. The child is deciding what to share, what not to share. Well, that'll be upsetting to daddy if I tell him that Bruce slept over or something. You know? so, <laughs> right, the, right. So the filtering and the acting and all the work that a child goes through and what the parent sees is just that nice plastic-faced happy face from the child, you know. And I'm feeling like that's not good for a child to have to be on stage all the time. So I'm trying to relieve the child of that. All that. Does that sure? Yeah, and and you you're doing it by <clears throat> by setting firm boundaries around that. There's other ways though, right? If in your case, Barry, that parent, the dad that heard from his son, well, mom's <laughs> talking bad about you, right? This child, what is this child looking for? So. And, and psychology will go deeper in that. We'll go like, mm. okay, there's a, there's a purpose, there's a reason why the child is doing this. He's trying to understand something. Okay. And if, if that just keeps us cool. So here, that may, have, that may need a little bit of therapy or something, <laughs> right? To learn to let go <laughs> and not worry about what other people say about him and, you know, whatever. But, um, you know, he could react different. If this is a parent, and I'm, I certainly work with, with uh, I've worked with someone like that who is really good at keeping grounded right so if the children come home and say mom said this or mom said that this person just is really like well, that's interesting okay and may turn it around to well he says like okay you live with me you can see how i behave so the children will see that that's maybe not true that yeah. that you know that that is a good person that that is uh, you know does his best and all these things so that the father could say you know well well that's unfortunate that mom says that but you know you know we're we're just going to let that go right and just be chill about it rather than mm -hmm. trying to use it as information to show that mom's slandering him and then i don't know you know continue <laughs> that that game of, yeah. of the the mm -hmm. divorce the divorce sometimes is is finalized but the marriage is still going 
That I've noticed too, right? They're still arguing as if they were married. It's like, okay, it's over. You're separated. You you maybe have oh, other people, but, but the dynamic yes. is still there. It's an, an, unbelievable to see right. that, right? Yes. Yes, yes. Um, so there, uh, do you, now, when someone comes to you in a family law setting, you're maybe evaluating their parenting, maybe doing what's called a 60410, a, a custody evaluation, not to throw around numbers, but in Illinois right now, as we sit here recording on July 9th, July, July 9th 2021, it's called a 60410 custody evaluation. So when someone comes to you for that, or you're evaluating them somehow else as a parent, uh, is there something our listeners should know? Like, don't insult the psychology person. Don't, don't, no, what, I mean, don't come on angry. I mean, is there something a listener should know? They're about to meet with you. Their heart is pumping. They know they're, they're being evaluated as a parent. Mm -hmm. There's something you'd like them to know. Well, just be authentic, right? If they, it doesn't matter if they're trying to put on a front, we'll see behind that anyway. Cause we, we start from a point of view that no, no one's mm. per perfect. There are no perfect. There's just no such thing. Right. So parents that are um, and I've certainly worked on cases like that where the one parent was like, well, I do everything and I'm just so, you know, I'm amazing. And I do, you know, uh, I never <laughs> yell at my child and, you know, all that stuff. It's like, mm -hmm, sure. OK. And then we, you know, we give them an MMPI, too, and we see that there's a whole bunch of issues going on. OK. Um, OK. On these are. Minnesota multiphasic personality yes, inventory. It's, yes, it's, it's a personality test that is normed, right? So uh, it sees when parents are exaggerating, right? So to just keep it simple, um, it will see not just parents, but in general, right? If people mm -hmm. are have a tendency to answer all uh, yes answers, true or false, right? It will slant one way or the other. We'll see if people are trying to fake good, right? Uh, I'm flawless. Um, the test picks up on that. And um, so that's just one of the, you know, the, the tests that are usually in that battery. Um, so people just be authentic, be yourselves, you know, be able to say, yeah, I have shortcomings. Well, what are you um, talking about? Look, Dr. Pirone, you're saying what? be authentic, yeah. but this father or this mother wants to win their custody case. Yeah. They want to be seen as the better parent, the one that should have the majority of parenting time. Who cares about be authentic? They want to win. Yes, I, I get that. But so part of the psychologist's uh, or mental health professional's job is to say, you know, what's best for your kid is that they get access to both parents. Unless, of course, and we haven't touched on this yet, but I wrote it down to remind myself if there's trauma, if there's abuse, right? If we, we start talking about cases with sexual abuse, physical abuse, that becomes a whole different ball game, right? But, you know, because trauma in the, in the life of a child affects their entire view of themselves and, and their mental health long-term can have detrimental effects. But generally what we want is for the child to have access to both parents. Well, it looks like we've come to the end of our time for this part one of episode 30. I'm attorney Kevin Johnson. I'm attorney Barry Boykin. I'm a mental health professional, Dr. Pascal Piron. And we'll see you in uh, part two. Please join us.